Yesterday was the feast of the apostles, the martyrdom of saints Peter and Paul. They're both martyred on the same day in Rome. Um, and because that feast always falls on the same day, but doesn't start at the same time, um, the church makes sure that the first Sunday closest to the feast is all about um, apostleship, which is why all of the readings from last night to the Pauline, the Catholic, the, the Acts that we just read, are all about what it means to be an apostle and the work of an apostle and the work of a minister of Christ. Um, in fact, the very word martyrium means witness, um, is that it's also to apostleship or witnessing to Christ. So today we can meditate on the readings and look at our function as apostles ourselves, um, since we are all called to be apostles. So the first is the calling or the commission for us to go out, um, which is when our Lord today told in the readings of the last gospel said to the 70, carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. He basically said, get up and simply go. Don't stop and talk, like literally don't even stop on the way and have a conversation with anybody because you're going to be distracted. You have one mission and your mission is specifically to preach my word, not to sit and dilly-dally. And then on top of it, he says, don't make any human provision for yourself. He says, don't carry a purse or a script. A script is like a, a, a wallet. Don't carry anything for that. Because it's going to be my work that takes care of you. So today when we have our, our mission trips, or when we're going out, or if there's anything we want to do, we have a million subcommittees, and we sit down, and we talk, and organize, and we email the, the governor, and we do all sorts of things to make sure that before we get out there, everything is perfect, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Whereas the apostles, when they went out, they had absolutely nothing, which is what the fathers are meditating on this, saying that it was to teach them to believe only in the grace of Christ, to feel that they are surrendering only to the grace and goodwill of their Heavenly Father. Because when we actively do our own thing, we sometimes think that it's our success is due to our labor and our foresight and our thoughts. It's not wrong to use our minds, it's not wrong to plan. But if we don't have in our minds a, a strong conviction that it's the work of God, we don't get the blessings or the fruits um, of true ministry. Now we also want as apostles to get to the level of the people indiscriminately. Which is why our Lord said, whatever house you enter. He didn't say, enter into these specific homes, and when you do, say, my peace be in this home. He said, every house that you enter, say, my peace be to this house. And if a son of peace be there, your peace will abide there. But if not, it shall return to you. So, as the Father said, the greeting of peace is to everybody, even though it will only be received by certain people. But our Lord still said to give it to everybody. So we can come to the level of everybody when we preach the gospel, but it doesn't mean that we will be accepted. So the Lord tells us, if they don't accept you, no big deal. Move on. It's nothing to sit and cry over or to get all worked up over. Just simply move on and continue your work. 
Now, the disciples, in fact, as St. Sir Lazarus says, for them to even be able to do this is a great honor. For us to be able to speak the words of Christ, it is the work of the Spirit. And so we should feel honored that the Lord is allowing us to speak in His name. Most of us would be very flattered if we're considered to be delegate, delegates for something. If the president were to choose somebody from among us and say, you're going to be my delegate when you go to this place, most of us consider it a great honor. How much greater an honor if we are the delegates of the Lord of hosts who sends us out, that we get to speak in his name. And if we're rejected, it's not our person who is rejected. It is a rejection of God himself. And it's up to God to deal with them, not ourselves. Which is why our job is simply to spread the good news. St. Paul emphasizes further in the Pauline epistle when he says, Unto the Jews I became a Jew, and unto the Gentiles I was as a Gentile. To those under the law I was as those under the law, and to those without the law I spoke as without the law. I became all things unto all men, so that even a few might be saved. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. The desire has to be very clear when we go out, that it is for the salvation of all souls. Now, a word just to be said about this, because sometimes this particular passage is abused, um, about being all things to all men. It doesn't mean pretending to be somebody who you are not. It doesn't mean that St. Paul was pretending to be a Gentile, to deal with the Gentiles, and that we can be multiple personalities to save people. We're not liars. We have to be who we are naturally. But what it means is that we need to have an understanding of the people with whom we are dealing. For example, our Lord sat with sinners, but he didn't sin with them in order to show them his love. St. Paul preached to those who were living very bizarre lifestyles when he went, but he didn't join in with them. But he understood them, which is what we can see through various epistles. When he was in Greece, he found a dedication um, to the unknown God, and he used that as his entryway to say, well, do you know who that one God is, this unknown God? When he went to preach among the Jews, he went into the synagogue, started with their scripture, and then started to explain from there. So he was able to understand everybody that he was dealing with in order that they might understand the gospel at their own level. So we have to do the same to understand those with whom we are living. We have a, a, a job as servants to understand even our own whom we are serving, what the youth are going through, what our children are going through, what parents are going through. This is what it means to be all things to all men, as opposed to simply Bible-thumping and yelling random things at people. People can smell out a fake very easily. Second, in order to go out, what must we do? We need to be converted ourselves first. Because the gospel requires work, self-work. Which is why St. Paul says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things, so that they can obtain an incorruptible crown. What he's saying is that we have a spiritual training to do. He's, he's, he's likening the spiritual life to athletic competition. 
in the Olympics. That's why he even says it's as though it's one beating at the air. When he says beating at the air, the imagery actually that he's giving in modern English is he's talking about a boxer. He's saying that if a boxer wants to train, he doesn't fight against the air. He's not going to get anywhere. He needs to actually have a, a, a big boxing glove on his hand. He has to be boxing at something. Because otherwise, you're not, you're not going to advance in your training. So we also have to have spiritual training. It means that we also have to have goals. It means that we also have to have exercises because we're training for something that's real and tangible. As Father Lazarus, um, a popular monk or an atheist, has become a professor, he's a monk at St. Anthony's. One time I was sitting with him in his cave, um, and he was saying to me, Nina, we don't, who likes to fast? Nobody likes to fast. Nobody likes to abstain. Nobody likes to do what we're doing. But the point is that we're training and we're striving. Nobody likes to do this. Just like St. Paul says, we're striving towards something. We're doing these things for the sake of the goal. Just like an Olympian who wants to be an Olympian has a diet, has a training regimen. It's not comfortable, but it is still necessary. So we require spiritual labor, which is why St. Paul says, but I keep under my body and I bring it under subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be lost. And this is one reason why we need to not focus only on the self when we're preaching. The focus has to be on Christ. It's easy for us to say nice things to people, comforting words to people, but it's not all about promotions and witnessing and testimonials, because we are all under the law of the body. We are all human beings, and we have to be attentive to our own spiritual lives, or we ourselves can be lost. If St. Paul, who was called by Christ himself, and with whom Christ appeared to three years straight, was also concerned for his own salvation, I think we should have the humility to also be concerned about our own. We need to know the gospel to have our own active spiritual life. That is why we need to have our own spiritual experience from which we draw in our preaching, which is why St. Paul then says, or St. Peter says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. St. Peter was writing this because at the time there was a big persecution in Rome, and he was actually imprisoned during this time by Emperor Nero, as we just read in the same ceremony. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you see him not, yet you believe with joy unspeakable and full of glory. St. Peter is calling out and saying that this is the trial of your faith. And even though you didn't meet Christ, I met him, but you didn't, yet you have hope. This is the same message to us. We didn't see him. We were not fortunate enough to be around in that first century. But yet, having not seen you believe. But he says that the trying of your faith is what is what brings you your joy. So many people get very worked up when they have spiritual failures. And they think that it's all over, and then they go to the opposite extreme of saying, like, life sucks, this isn't worth it. Um, or the other extreme of saying, I'm only human, and there's nothing I can do, and they give up. Both of them are wrong. We're called to rise above, but if we're really learning to run a race, then why are we shocked and we have problems in our training? We're going to have days that we're tired. 
We're going to have days that we fall. There's going to be days that you eat properly, days that you do not. This is all part of our experience. It is nothing to be worked up over. Our Lord doesn't condemn us for falling short of perfection. He'll condemn us if we stop having hope in Him. That's why despair is seen as the biggest sin in Christianity. Nothingness. No matter what sin you can name, nothing is seen as a huge deal more than despairness because we ought to always have hope in our God. So step by step we grow and from every fall we learn how to rise. And we, we acquire experience and from that experience we grow. Just like life normally is taken linearly, we go through life, we have infancy and we have being a toddler and we have being an adolescent and we have then being an adult and then we're a senior. And there are things that we simply learn by virtue of that growth. By simply having lived longer, we know more. Not by any wonderful thing that we've done, we just simply lived. The same is true in the spiritual life. You have to simply live it and learn as you go with your trainer. You need to lose a job to learn how to depend on the person who provides for you. You need to learn how to be anxious to realize that you have no need to be anxious. You need to experience dry seasons to learn how to experience how much you love the rain. You need to feel his absence sometimes to really appreciate that he's actually always there. These are experiences that we have to go through in order to feel helpless to realize that he is our helper. The third thing is that our preaching is accompanied by signs. And these signs are often the reason why people follow the apostles. It says, by the hands of the apostles and the acts of the apostles today were worked many signs and wonders. And that the people magnified them and believers were added in so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least even the shadow of Peter might heal the people. And elsewhere, we read that people wanted even the handkerchief of Paul for their own healing. This is one of the reasons why in the Orthodox Church we do believe in relics and we do believe in holy objects because it is, it is biblical. But we should be wondering if we too have these same signs of the apostles. Signs can be miracles. I remember one time in the monastery that I always go back to that there was a person who came, a worker in the monastery who was working on something and his thumb got sawed off with, with an electric saw. And he went running to an Abba that I've had the blessing of learning from at the monastery, an elder who's been a monk now for almost 60 years. And the monk simply anointed it with oil and told him to go spend the night in front of the relics of St. Mark Antonio, whose feast day is actually on, on Tuesday. And the person simply did as he was told. He woke up and his thumb was completely back to normal, not even a scar. The same Holy Spirit that worked 2,000 years ago is at work today. It should not be a shocking thing. It should not be something that we're, we're very surprised about. But signs can also be our actions. They don't have to be the miraculous um, works. Signs can be bringing love and healings to home and to broken souls and to broken people. We look at Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She wasn't famous for doing miracles, like supernatural miracles. 
She was famous for her love and for her compassion and for caring for people indiscriminately regardless of their creed. And that's why so many people follow after her. If Mother Teresa were to walk through the streets, I imagine that everybody would follow after her and everybody would come to hear her word because she herself exhibited the works of the gospel. She herself lived that very life, which is why we as Christians are called to do the same thing. There should be signs and wonders when we do things. Now, how to know that you're on the right track? Expect difficulty. Difficulty is followed by persecution, which is why our Lord said, go your way, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. He was very explicit that this is not a pretty picture that we're getting into. The people are not all going to be receptive, and in fact, they're going to want to tear you apart and eat you and throw you out and eat you alive. This is the reality of the world then, and it is the reality of the world now. Don't expect that it's going to be all roses and peaches and we're all going to be skipping together singing Kumbaya. We're not. The reality is that sometimes they hate us. And they're going to hate us because what we're speaking convicts people. It's the opposite of what they're comfortable with. And so they're not going to smile at you. Some of them will. And if they do, my peace be to you. And your peace will abide there and it is the peace of God. And if they do not, you leave move on and your peace comes back with you. Then in the Acts of the Apostle we see then the high priest arose and all they that were with him and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Right away the result of them preaching the word, the word and we just saw all the excitement of the people and that people were being healed. Were people happy that people were being healed? No they were not. They took them and they arrested them. But immediately an angel of the Lord comes. That same month that I was talking about earlier is gifted with the gift of what they call being spirit-born, where the Lord can carry someone by the Spirit. It's hearing that St. Philip in the Book of the Apostles suddenly found himself in another land. I was visiting this month a few years ago again because he serves now in the world. And I don't know if you remember in early, maybe seven years ago now, there was a, a massacre in a small town in Egypt called Nagahamedi on New Year's Eve, where this whole village was attacked and the prayers and many people were killed. Shortly after, they rounded a bunch of Christians and threw them in jail. And in the jail, they were, they were tortured. Like it, was, it, was, it was disgusting. So when I was visiting this month, I had the blessing of sitting with these people who are confessors, really. Um, and they were talking about what was done to them. And I asked them, why are you here? And they were there because in the middle of the prison, this monk that I'm talking about suddenly appeared in their midst. And it's a monk that they'd never knew. They'd never met him in their lives. They had never even seen a picture of him so that they could even psychologically have an image of someone that they liked and that they were hallucinating and the torture and they saw. They had no knowledge of him. They had never met him in their lives and they'd never seen a picture. He simply appeared in their midst and blessed them and comforted them and told them, not to be afraid that they are witnessing for Christ. And that was to them the biggest comfort and the promise that our Lord does come to those who suffer for the sake of his name. In the same way that even though they were put in prison, the angel of the Lord came and comforted them. In the Synexarium, we read about those who were being suffered, and immediately after, the angel of the Lord would come and heal them. So much to the point that some mom who saw their kid being murdered and she wasn't even a Christian, 
was that if this son of mine is ready to die for, for this religion, and even though they tortured them, for some reason his body is whole, I am now gonna I am now ready to die for this Christ I don't even know anything about. How much more ought we to focus on the power of the gospel today and believe that these things are for us as well? Because underneath all of this is one common denominator. It is their actual belief in the God in whom we preach. We all have to ask ourselves, do we truly believe? You know you're on the right track when there's warfare and when there's turbulence. The devil is not going to attack people who are complacent and people who are spiritually asleep because you're already doing what he wants. You are outside of communion with God and you don't care. He's not going to bother you. He's only going to bother those who are standing at the front lines who are encouraging the rest of the army to fight. He's going to be going against those who are being a light to others because they are converting others. Those are the people with whom we are going to fight. He doesn't care for those who are sleeping. He cares for the soldier. If we want to have the true ministry of an apostle, then if we want to have a resurrection of Christ, the way to it is crucifixion. It's to take up our crosses and to follow him and to preach Christ crucified so that we can benefit from Christ who rose. Glory be to our God. Amen. Mm-hmm.